Hello and welcome to the Horizon Church podcast. We exist to see lives transformed through Jesus and are located in the heart of Surrey, BC, Canada. To find out more, visit us at horizonchurch.ca. We hope this message blesses and inspires you. Thank you for joining us this morning. Um, Princeton, we're so excited to have you joining us online today. And before I get into my message, I actually just wanted to circle back to how um, Jacob opened up this morning. Maybe you weren't here when worship started, but I just felt the prompting of the Lord just to share this once again. He opened up talking about this scripture where Jesus and his disciples are in the boat and they're in the middle of a storm. And in that moment, the disciples were correct in that they had an expectation that if they cried out to God, if they prayed out to God, he would answer their prayer. And I felt like this morning when Jacob highlighted it, it was so powerful that Jesus could have answered their prayer in so many ways. Maybe he was, he was, they were expecting that God could have answered it by taking them out of the storm, that God could have answered it by, in some other way. But I felt like the Holy Spirit said this morning that there would be someone here this morning, maybe you're online, you're watching us, maybe you're in the room. And see, what can happen is when we have an expectation of how God is going to answer our prayers, when he chooses to answer it a different way, we have to be careful that we don't let bitterness come in. And I just felt like the Lord wanted someone to hear this morning that you, he, God is faithful. We sang about it in our first song, Firm Foundation, this morning. And if you're here this morning and you have a need, you have a prayer that you have been praying, and you have been praying with expectation that God's going to answer, but because the answer hasn't come the way you've expected, don't miss out on what he has actually provided for you. So whoever that is this morning, I'm just believing that God's going to just touch your heart with that. So who's been enjoying the sunshine? Yes, we, we went from winter straight into summer. Now maybe it's gonna even out in June, I don't know, but I'm enjoying the sun, it's been so great. And for those of you that have been following along with us in our series on no offense, I know it's been a little bit, there's been a lot, and you're like, sometimes I just need that oxygen mask to help me out to make it through. I can tell you today, family, we're at the end. There's a light at the end of the tunnel and it's not a train about to run you over. This is it. We're on our last message in that series. So thank you for joining us. Um, we've, had, we've had a lot of feedback actually. So thank you for those of you that have emailed us and have come up to us and just reaffirmed how powerful this series has been. And if you've missed out any, you can go to YouTube and you can check them out, um, all the previous messages. There was one quote that Pastor Craig had a few weeks ago that really stuck out for, for me and for a lot of people. Offense is inevitable, but living offended is optional. I just thought that was so powerful. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more today. So I wanted to start out as I was preparing, and I was thinking about the topic that we're going to be talking about today. And I, the Lord reminded me that when we first got married, I had a little problem. It was something that we didn't really talk about. And it was something that you know, really to me, it wasn't a problem, but it quickly became apparent for my husband, it was a problem. He doesn't even know what I'm going to talk about yet, <laughs> but he probably does know. So you see, I was, I just had this little problem 
And when we were first dating, you know, we would bump up against it. But because we were so in love with one another, we could easily overlook it. But then there came the point where you're married and there's no back door. And I, I could see on my husband's face that he's like, Shanda, we got to deal with this. You see, my problem was, is I was so very rarely wrong. <laughs> Who are my people? Okay, thank you. At least there's some of you honest here. I was so very rarely wrong that when I was wrong, I didn't know what to do. <laughs> Ignore the peanut gallery in the front row. So because I had so very rarely been wrong when I was younger, I also didn't learn that key thing of apologizing and repenting and being asking for forgiveness. So in, in my world, I actually was kind of raised to understand that I would give forgiveness when I felt like they deserved it. That I could, I, Craig would, you know, often apologize when we were first married and he was waiting. He was waiting for me to, to do my part. Say, yes, honey, I forgive you. But if I didn't feel like it, I didn't feel like my apology was genuine. And there was also this great song, this country song in the early 90s that had this line that I thought was gospel truth. You may recognize it. The line goes, I just want to be mad for a while. What's wrong with that? I thought, this is truth. That's right. Sometimes I just need to be mad for a little while. Like, I'll get there. I'll forgive you. So my husband very quickly got on his knees and started fasting before the Lord because he knew my theology needed to be corrected. Try having your husband as your pastor and your boss. Be praying for me, friends. But you see, forgiveness is not about a feeling. So I had the hesitation in admitting I was wrong. And when I was hurt by someone, I thought I had to wait until I felt ready to forgive them. Basically, it was a hot mess. So this morning, we're going to look at the power of forgiveness and how important it is in working through our offenses with one another. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for our time together this morning. Lord, would you open our hearts to hear? Would you open our ears to hear what you're saying to us this morning in Jesus' name? So is forgiveness a feeling? Is forgiveness a choice? What do I do when I'm not feeling like I want to forgive someone? Let's look at the scripture this morning in Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. It says, for he has rescued us. Someone say rescued. He has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness, and he has transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. See, we could just stop right there and say, thank you, Lord, that's so great. You took me out of the kingdom of darkness. You brought me into the kingdom of life. I'm just happy and everything is great, which is true. But I want us to look at, you know, the word rescued in the Greek here, it actually means to snatch to oneself. And I think an image that will help keep this in mind is when you think about a family out playing in the front yard and the little kid decides to dart across the road and one of the parents can see the potential, um, the car that's coming, the potential catastrophe, and they snatch that child to themselves. They snatch the child out of harm's way. And that's what God did for you and I. He saw that harm. He saw that car that was on track to run us over. But you know what? He 
snatched us out of that kingdom of darkness and he brought us into the kingdom of his son that he loves. And you know, friends, we're not just saved from something. We're not just rescued from something. We are actually saved to something. We're not just being snatched out of darkness and then kind of left in this spiritual no man's land waiting for the sweet by and by that we get called to heaven, but we are actually purchased with a purpose. He has brought us out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light so that we can actually live here on earth and walk out the purposes of God in a different kingdom. And you know, when you come from one kingdom to another, you need to learn new ways. Many of you here are from different nations around the world. And as you've come from whatever nation you came from, when you came to Canada, you had to learn a new currency. Many of you have had to learn a new language. You had to learn new culture, new value systems, new medical systems, new transportation systems. You had to learn a new way of functioning in the culture of Canada. And that's why the Holy Spirit came, so that he could bring us into line of the kingdom of heaven, so that we could be ambassadors of that kingdom to walk out the purposes of God that he has laid out ahead of us. But you know, the end of that verse, it says, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Isn't it interesting that Paul speaks about this new kingdom and one of the first things he talks about is the forgiveness of sins. If we need to understand anything about the kingdom of God, first of all, we need to understand forgiveness. And there's two parts of forgiveness. There's that horizontal part of forgiveness where the Lord so graciously forgave us of our sins. But then there's the, the, the horizontal part of forgiveness which is where we choose to forgive those that have hurt us and have offended us. And I'm sure you've seen it before. When we do that, it makes the picture of a cross. We're recognizing our need for our forgiveness from our Savior, and then we're easily releasing our forgiveness to those around us. So when we think about forgiveness, I want that picture of the cross to be the first thing that comes to your mind. When that person that has offended you and spoken lies about you, when you run into them at the grocery store, I want you to see the cross. When that family member who hurt you and cut you off, when you see them or you think about them, I want you to think about the cross. Because it reminds us that we, we, we also received forgiveness. And as we begin to understand that vertical and that horizontal, how they go hand in hand, we also need to understand the perspective that releases forgiveness. So today we're gonna to look at a parable in Matthew 18. And this is actually Jesus answering a question that Peter has previously asked. Peter has asked, how many times, like Jesus, how many times do I need to forgive? Don't you wonder who he was thinking about? Like you don't ask a question like that unless you've got someone in your mind who has just ticked you off. Like, was it Paul? Was it James? Like, who was Peter thinking of? I'm sure each and every one of us have asked that question. Oh, dear Lord Jesus, how many times do I need to forgive them for doing the exact same thing 
again and again and again? What if I don't feel like forgiving them? Do I still have to forgive them? What if they've really, 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 really hurt me? Do I still have to forgive them? And part of Jesus' answer is he goes and he tells a story. He tells us a parable, which he so often does. So we're going to read Matthew chapter 18, verses 23 to 30. The kingdom of heaven being like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master command, commanded that he be sold with his wife, his children, everything he had be sold, and that payment be made. The servant fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave his debts owed to him. But that servant went out and immediately found a fellow servant who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands, okay, he gets violent. He lays hands on him. He took him by the throat. You can just imagine him shaking him. Pay me what you owe. So the servant fell down at his feet and literally says the same thing that he just said. Have patience with me and I will pay it all. And he would not, but he went and threw that man into prison till he should pay the debt. Now we might read this and we might get the basics. We might understand there's a king and there's a servant and the servant owes the king a huge, incredible debt. And then there's another servant over here that this servant now owes money to and it's not as much, but he owes him as well. But see, I think there's a greater meaning that Jesus is trying to point out to us when we actually look at the currencies that are mentioned, the money that is mentioned in this verse. See, it's found in the meaning of the talents and the denarii. And of course, as we read that 2,000 years later, we don't deal with a lot of talents and denarii. At least I don't. Maybe you do. I don't even know what they look like. But we kind of can lose perspective on what God is saying in this verse. So math is not my strong suit. I'm just putting that out there. Caleb, you're going to have to have patience with me. Okay, I've done my research. I've done what I can. But I think if you can follow along with me here, we're going to have a new understanding of the perspective of forgiveness. Okay, here we go. So to make this very, very clear and visible right here, we have two relationships in this story. The king and the servant and the servant and the servant. On this side over here, there's a debt that involves 10,000 talents. I know that means absolutely nothing to every one of you in the room. That's okay. Stick with me. So how do we figure out what that would mean in, today's, in, in our today's time? Basically, when you look at the scripture, this, most of the, um, the um, this, what's the word for it? The commentators, they will bring it down to figure it out for today to what is a day's wage. Because each and every one of us can understand what a day's wage is. And a day's wage can be translated throughout time and history. Basically, what is it going to cost for you to have lodging, to have food, to have clothes, to live your life? What is going to be required? What is a day's wage? So in Jesus' day, a day's wage would be one denarius. So one denarius equals one day's wage. So one day's wage... So in our story, though, we're talking about talents. So one talent 
equaled 6,000 denarii, so that's 6,000 days of work. One talent, one day's wage. One, or sorry, one denarius is one day's wage. One talent is 6,000 days wages. Stay with me, okay? We're going somewhere. So, in 2021, they did a study in the United States, so it'll be similar to Canada, just minus 30%, basically. Um, one day's wage in the US, this is an average, it's not everybody's, it's an average, would have been $154.64. So one denarius in our day would be how much? $154.64. That first servant owed the king 10,000 talents. So if you do the math, that servant owed that king nine billion, two hundred and seventy-eight million, four hundred thousand dollars. American. So basically, we're in the trillions, people. So I want to know, how does a servant get nine billion dollars in debt? to the king. Like, did he have a gambling problem? Was he betting on the camels and losing heavily? What, did the inflation on his tent mortgage go up? Like food prices were like, how in the world did that man get that much money that he owed $9 billion plus to the king? It's in a crazy amount of money, but that's the whole point. That's what Jesus is trying to point out. Because he wants his disciples, he wants all of us to know that we had a debt before God. We had a debt before God that was so insurmountable, there's no way we could ever pay it back. The only way we could be released from that debt was for it to be forgiven. No good work, no good deed could ever pay back the debt. And the servant's like, just have patience with me. I just need some time. Like how much time? 10 lifetimes? Like it wasn't possible. There was no way he could pay that back. So now let's look at the fellow servant. He owed, okay, $154.64 is one day's wage. So when we look at what he owed, and you multiply it, 100 denarii would have been about $15,000. So $15,000 is a significant amount of money. I mean, if somebody owed me $15,000, and then we're like, hey, so sorry. Can't afford to pay you back. I don't know about you, but for me, that would be significant. Like, I would, I would really miss that $15,000. It's a lot of money. And that's the point that Jesus is trying to make. That this guy over here, he really owed a lot of money. And maybe that's your situation today. Maybe someone owes you a lot of money. Maybe someone hurt you and offended you deeply. Maybe you got your heart broken. Maybe someone treated you badly. And there's no excuse for that. Maybe it was your parents. Maybe it was that friend or you, who you thought was a friend. But man, the words that they spoke to you and about you, they were hurtful. 
Maybe there is a considerable debt between you and someone else. And you know what? As long as you stay focused on that $15,000 debt that's owed to you, it will seem like a huge amount. And you're right. But here's the point. $15,000 is only a lot of money until you compare it to the $9,278,400,000 reasons of debt that you owed, that I owed. And that's the perspective of forgiveness. Jesus is not saying that this amount over here, the 15,000, that that was nothing. He's not, it's, it, it's significant. And it can easily be forgotten. But what he asks us to do is just take a few steps back and compare what is owed to us with what we actually owed. 15,000 versus 9 billion. But you see, if we fix our eyes on that 15,000, which is what we often do, we can say, I have a right to hold on to unforgiveness. I have the right to stay angry for a while. And maybe you do. But I want to encourage you today that maybe you're taking your eyes off of the nine billion that you owed. Because you see, if I was the devil, I would work overtime to have a big blinder and lights and things shining over here so that you couldn't actually see that nine billion, so that you couldn't be reminded of the price that Jesus paid for you. I would have a spotlight shining on that offense, that hurt, that debt that is owed to me. Because if he can keep our focus there, then we forget about what God did for us. If all we can see is those words that were spoken, the lies that were told, the hurt that was perceived, if that's all you can see, then you miss out on what God has for you. And you know, Pastor Craig talked about it a few weeks ago. Your body actually doesn't know the difference between the first time something happened to you and every single time you replay it in your mind. If it was a traumatic event, if it was something that was really hurtful, every time you play that over in your mind, it's like it's happening again. The thing with forgiveness is that pride is involved. Did you know that pride is involved in whether you forgive or you don't forgive? Because you see, pride kills forgiveness. We're not forgiven automatically. This might be news for some of us. We're not forgiven automatically just because we are children of God. We are forgiven the sins that we confess. First John chapter one says, if, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we actually make him a liar and his word is not in us. Confession involves humility. Pride will make you say, you know what? Is it really nine billion? It's not that bad. What I did, it wasn't so bad. But over here, let me tell you about these 15,000 reasons that I should be holding on to unforgiveness. But as I'm reminded about the debt that was erased from my account, 
I'm actually able to let go of that hurt that was caused to me. Sin is only a problem if there is no forgiveness. But if there is forgiveness, then realizing that I'm in daily need of the grace of God, daily need of the grace of God and the forgiveness of God, then all of a sudden there's a door to freedom that gets open to us when we understand that. When we begin to focus not on what was done to me, but what was done for me. Then I can let go of my choice to be heard, my need to be heard, my right to be heard, my side of the story. Family, this is not theory. I told you at the very beginning, I have had to learn this and learn this well. Jesus, let me never forget those nine billion reasons that I choose to lay down my pride and release forgiveness. And you know, if you're struggling today in feeling peace, perhaps your gaze is more focused over here to the 15,000 that's owed to you than to the nine billion that was forgiven for you. There's only peace on the other side of forgiveness of accepting the fact that Jesus Christ paid the price for you and for me, and whatever you've done cannot remove you from the power of his blood. He is ready to cleanse us, and he is ready to erase all those debts from our account. He's ready to give us the peace that we are so hungry for, but are you still holding on to what is owed to you? I wanna share a true story with you. Lainey, you can get ready to come, please. On the power that is actually unleashed when we choose to forgive. Because you know what? We live in this new kingdom culture that we talked about at the very beginning. When you forgive someone, you have no idea what you put in motion. When you forgive someone, when you choose to let someone go, even though they hurt you, you have no idea what kind of consequences are gonna come from that. I'm talking about good consequences. My husband sent me this, he saw it this week. Forgiveness doesn't excuse their actions. Forgiveness stops their actions from destroying your heart. Forgiveness doesn't excuse their actions, Forgiveness stops their actions from destroying your heart. I think it was Daniel talked about it, or maybe it was Ryan. Withholding your forgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting it to hurt the person who hurt you. So I'm gonna tell you, this is a true story. In 2015, February 2015, a group of ISIS warriors led 21 young Egyptian, Egyptian Christians down to a beach in Libya, North Africa. These Christians were forced to kneel and the spokesperson for ISIS made a statement that these people of the cross, that's what they referred to Christians, that they were not worthy of living. And all 21 of those young Christian men were executed by ISIS on the beach. They videotaped the whole thing and they sent it out on YouTube in an attempt to scare Christians in their faith. In an attempt to motivate them to leave behind the faith of the cross and to hide under the terror of darkness. To hide away from the impact of the strong and mighty ISIS. They were trying to just make themselves look so strong. However, 
this act had exactly the opposite effect because it spread like wildfire all over Egypt. And even though Egypt is primarily an Islamic nation, everybody could relate because these were Egyptian citizens. They thought, so they brought the mother of one of the executed young men into the TV studio for one of the biggest talk shows in the nation. And the talk show host asked her, if you had these men that killed your son and his friends, if you could do anything to them, what would you do? What punishment would be enough? And family, that's the thing we get stuck on. We get so stuck on those 15,000 reasons that are owed to us, but what punishment would be enough? What punishment will be enough for you to release the person that hurt you? What punishment, what would it be? Would it be if they were killed? Or maybe if they were, um, if they were lost all their money and they were, they were uh, living on the street? Because you see, that's the problem. When we withhold forgiveness because we don't think people deserve it, when we don't think that, they, um, that, that, that there's no punishment enough, there is no punishment enough. It's only what Jesus has already done. It's only the debt that he has already taken for us. So this mom, she looked into the camera and she said, you know what? I only wish for all of these men to find forgiveness in Jesus Christ. I only wish for these men who took the lives of my son and the 20 other young men, that they would know the love of Jesus Christ that they will find true life and true forgiveness through faith in Him. That's my one desire. Lord Jesus, I don't know if that would be my response. Help me, Lord, to grasp that, that they will find true life and true forgiveness through faith in Him. That's my one desire. Her words spread over the entire nation and shocked the nation of Egypt because it was clear to them what faith, which faith was stronger. If it was strong enough to forgive such a horrible crime, it had to be true. And it led to a national revival in Egypt, tens of thousands of people came to faith because of that woman's prayer to those that had robbed her of her son. See, when you choose to forgive, you have no idea what you are setting into motion.